You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 85 of the Weekly Group Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and I'm coming at you from uh, the studios here in Houston. And as you might be watching on Facebook Live right now, uh, both Jeremy Paxson and Kevin Cook are uh, not with us this evening. Uh, Jeremy, of course, coming back from Austin, Texas. And uh, Kevin uh, just covered uh, Cy Falls after they won the 6A state championship here in Texas. Uh, so congratulations to uh, Cy Falls. And of course, Hunter Atkins is busy covering uh, the Astros spring training in uh, Palm Beach, Florida. So, so make sure to go follow him on Twitter at Hunter Atkins 35. He's going to provide great content. Of course, uh, Dallas Keuchel pitched three solid innings today against the Washington Nationals, and uh, it was his first outing of spring training. But uh, here on today's show, we're going to uh, have Lee Jenkins on here in just a few moments. He is the uh, the senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, and he's going to talk a lot about the Rockets and uh, James Harden specifically. What is driving him this season? And actually, Kevin Cook does that interview. And uh, James Harden tonight, absolutely remarkable. 37 points, uh, his 16th triple-double of the season. The guy's playing at an MVP caliber level, and I think tonight he proved that he is kind of separating himself from that pack of Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, LeBron James. I think he showed tonight that the Rockets are contenders, and of course we'll get into that game in just a moment. But also we've got Paul Catalina from ESPN Central Texas joining us. He's going to uh, discuss uh, Baylor basketball, March Madness. What can we expect from the Bears as the NCAA brackets came out on Sunday evening? Also, uh, we discuss a little bit about Tony Romo and where he lands. Does he end up in Houston with the Texans, or does he end up uh, perhaps in uh, you know a Broncos uniform? John Elway is going to court him, obviously, and uh, the Texans need a quarterback after trading Brock Osweiler this past week uh, to the Cleveland Browns. And uh, very interesting move. So we'll, bo- we'll definitely stay tuned to listen to both Lee and Paul here in just a few f- short minutes. But uh, first, let's talk about March Madness. That's obviously uh, the big storyline heading into this week. And of course, your four uh, top seeds in the tournament are Gonzaga, North Carolina, Kansas, and who is the other team that I'm blanking on right now? Uh, but, you know, let's start off. Uh, Villanova, North Carolina, Kansas, and Gonzaga, obviously. And uh, we are uh, sort of a Baylor slash a, a Houston-based podcast. And uh, Baylor Bears are the number three seed in the Eastern uh, region. And to me, that region is just absolutely loaded. Uh, Baylor is going to be taking on New Mexico State and the first round in Tulsa on Friday morning at, I believe, 11.40 is the tip-off. And the Bears are kind of coming in struggling. Uh, they had worked their way up to number one in the country uh, this season, uh, but, of course, faltered a little bit down the stretch. And uh, keep in mind, that the Big 12 has a very, very strong league, sending six teams to the NCAA tournament this year. Uh, Bears had hopes of being a one seed in the tournament. Obviously, that didn't happen as you faltered down the stretch and, of course, losing to Kansas State uh, in Kansas City this past week for the Big 12 tournament. But uh, the Bears are a three seed in Tulsa. It's close to home. The fans can show up to the games, uh, which is huge. That's a very important thing uh, for Scott Drew and the Bears. And, of course, uh, another key thing is health. Was it a blessing in disguise that Baylor lost and has a week of rest? I think that's something worth 
pondering. Of course, you have Jonathan Motley, who suffered a dislocated finger. Uh, Manu Lacombe, who has been uh, hamstrung with a ankle injury the past few weeks. And I, I really think it's critical for the Bears to be able to rest up fully. Of course, we know the Bears have gone out in the uh, the NCAA tournament early the past two years, of course, losing to Yale last year and Georgia State uh, two years ago. This year, I think the Bears have some motivation. They don't want to lose in the first round. They have one senior on the team, Ish Wainwright. He wants to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, but they, of course, are playing New Mexico State, a team that is 28 and 28-5, won the Western Athletic Conference, and they've got a senior player of the year for the WAC in Ian Baker. He's a guard who was averaging nearly 17 points a game. Uh, this is the best team that New Mexico State has had. They set a program record uh, with wins this season, but you have to give Baylor the edge. And, of course, if you look at the uh, early Las Vegas lines, Baylor is a 13-point favorite. So there are high expectations for the Bears during March Madness. And, of course, if they win that game, they'll likely play the SMU Mustangs. And, of course, this is the first year without Larry Brown as the head coach. And SMU is coming into uh, the tournament as I kind of believe they're they're not necessarily seeded correctly. They, you know, they are a sixth seed. I, I'm not sure that that is indicative of the type of team that they put out you know, in, in each game. But when you look at SMU, I think the Bears actually match up pretty well. This is a game that initially I was concerned about, and I, I still think it is going to be a tough matchup for the Bears, but SMU essentially has a six-man rotation. Their longest player is six foot eight. That is a matchup nightmare going against Baylor, going against, uh, you know, Motley, uh, you know, the depth that Baylor has in the front court. And I think when you look at teams that play well in the tournament, you have to play good defense and you have to have good guard play. And I think for Baylor, and that means you need to have Jake Lindsay step up. You need to have Manu Lacombe step up. You need Al Freeman to step up and you need to play good. You need to hold teams and that's something that Paul Catalina is going to join us here in just a few moments and discuss. He suggests that if Baylor can hold teams under 70 points in the NCAA tournament, they have a great chance to go far. But if they are going to go far, it's not going to be easy. Uh, you look at that Eastern bracket, and I would argue that it's the region of death. We talk a lot about the region of death, or the group of death, if you will, when it comes to soccer, especially during the World Cup. This region... Now, I, I want you to throw RPI out the window. RPI is, I think, an outdated metric that the NCAA selection committee uses. And we'll discuss a little bit why it's a little bit flawed here in just a few moments. But when you look at Ken Palm, Ken Palm is arguably one of the most reliable metrics in grading college basketball teams. There are six teams in the Ken Palm top 13 in the Eastern bracket. That's remarkable. Villanova, ranked number two, according to Ken Palm. Virginia, number seven. Florida, number nine. SMU, number 11. Duke, number 12. And Baylor at 13. That's not going to be easy. If you're Baylor and you make it to the Final Four in Phoenix, you're going to have done so against elite caliber competition. But I think that's exactly what the players on the team and Scott Drew want. If you are going to win it, you need to make sure that you do it against the best. And for me, I, I kind of like Duke 
in this region. I, I, I want to be a homer and cheer for the Bears. And of course, we all remember that uh, Elite Eight game here in Houston at NRG Stadium, uh, that phantom charge call on Quincy AC that probably cost the Bears a berth in the Final Four, and if not a national championship, that was one of the most talented and deep rosters that the Bears had had. I think Baylor Nation would love to square off against Duke, but I think Duke's too strong. They've got, you know, they started the year as a preseason number one team. They've got so much depth, so much NBA talent. And Grayson Allen, whether you love him or hate him, very talented player. And if he keeps his cool, Duke can go far. So if I'm handicapping the East, I want to cheer for Baylor. I'm going to cheer for Baylor. But I think Duke comes out of that region. But let's move on real quick and talk about the Midwest. And I think there are a lot of intriguing matchups here. Of course, Kansas is the number one seed. Uh, Iowa State, another solid team in that region. Of course, winning the Big 12 tournament this past weekend against uh, a very good West Virginia team, a very good defensive team at that. But uh, Iowa State, Kansas, playing potentially in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City. That has to be remarkable for Big 12 fans. And it's also going to be a little bit frustrating. Uh, Both of those teams, of course, this year, they split the season series. Uh, you had Kansas win the game in Lawrence. I believe that score was 76-72. Iowa State won an overtime thriller in Ames. Uh, I believe that score was 92-89. to But Iowa State, they're led by one of the best guards in the conference, and Monte Morris, again, he's averaging 16-5-6 and six per game. He's probably one of the best guards uh, in, in Big 12 history. He's a four-year player. Iowa State just knows how to win. There was not really a drop-off this year as you know they had a new, new head coach. Um, that, to me, is just the game that potentially stands out in the Sweet 16. Uh, that's going to be a packed house. Uh, the district in Kansas City would just support that. I, I think that's something that the NCAA wants. It's unfortunate that's happening between these two great teams, the team that won the regular season Big 12 title and the team that won the conference tournament potentially meeting in the Sweet 16 in uh, Kansas City. But uh, you look at Kansas. I, I think that they are probably one of the better teams in that bracket. Of course, you've got two amazing players, Frank Mason, who is a Big 12 Player of the Year, Josh Jackson, who missed the TCU game and uh, in, in, in their loss Thursday in Kansas City uh, through suspension. Of course, he's got some off-the-court issues. Those are two very talented players. And I, I, think, I think Mason probably is going to contend for Player of the Year I think there were a lot of worthy candidates this year, but I think Mason's probably going to get the edge. And of course, very deservedly so. I mean, he's had a a remarkable year, but I think the keys for Kansas would be staying out of foul trouble. They've they've got talent at the top, but depth is kind of a concern for me. But I always tend to choose Kansas in my brackets and uh, it it never pans out that well for me. But uh, when you look at, you know, the bottom half of that bracket, You've got Oregon and Louisville. Those are both teams that Baylor knocked off this year in non-conference play, but it's a very dangerous bottom half of the bracket. Of course, Louisville is a two-seed. Oregon is a three-seed. Dylan Brooks, who did not play in the Baylor game, he's going to have to carry the team. Of course, Oregon lost their starting forward in the Pac-12 tournament to a torn ACL. Of course, they nearly knocked off Arizona. That's going to be the X factor. I think Dylan Brooks has to step up, but that Louisville team, you know, Petrino has been there, not Petrino. Rick Petino has been there. He's won a national championship. This team's hungry. 
You know, they had that scandal where they missed the NCAA tournament uh, because of prostitution, basketball, just not a good situation. But they have a phenomenal defense. And that's what you need in the NCAA tournament. You need to be able to shut teams down. And so for me, I, I really hope to see that game. I really hope Oregon and Louisville can, uh, you know, come together and, and play for the right to play Kansas and head to the Final Four. But if I'm picking a team out of that region, I, I have to go with Kansas. Maybe that's me being a little bit of a Big 12 homer, uh, but they're a very talented team. And of course, uh, in the Western bracket, you've got Gonzaga and Arizona. I like Arizona. You know, they finished the season 30 and four. They've got four guys on the roster averaging double digit scoring. So they can spread the rock out, which is critical. If, if one guy's cold, they have three other guys that can pick up the load. And to see what they did, uh, you know, during the Pac 12 tournament was remarkable. I, I mean, they lit up UCLA. They struggled at the free throw line. I think that game was probably a little closer than it should have been. But Arizona is a very solid basketball club, and I, I really like them out in the West as the number two seed. Uh, of course, they lost to Gonzaga early in the season. Uh, it was a seven-point game, but they played an amazing brand of basketball late. You know, they've knocked off Oregon. They've knocked off UCLA. I think it's going to come down to Gonzaga and Arizona. And Gonzaga, you know, they are the number one seed. They have one loss this year, and that was to BYU. They've struggled in NCAA tournaments. They haven't been able to get over that hump. I, you know, I guess they've made the Elite Eight, Sweet 16 a couple of times, but they have not made that Final Four run. This year could be the year, but I think if they are going to do it, they're going to have to beat Arizona for a second time. And it's not easy to beat a team two times in one season, especially with everything on the line, especially with how solid Arizona has played in the Pac-12 tournament leading into the NCAA. So I, I'm going to have to go with Arizona out of the West, but uh, the South, uh, that is another insane bracket. If, if we're ranking strength of brackets, I've got to go with the East first, and then I've got to go with the South. And of course, North Carolina is your top seed. They are led by Justin Jackson, who, if you follow Houston high school basketball, he was the stud here. It was him and Justice Winslow, their senior years. And of course, Justice Winslow went to Duke. Jackson went to North Carolina. Uh, Winslow is, of course, a lottery pick by the Miami Heat, who we had on the podcast uh, this past summer. But Justin Jackson has stepped it up in a, a ACC play this year. Probably the player of the year, contending for national player of the year. That North Carolina team is good. Of course, they lost to Duke in the ACC tournament this year. Uh, split the regular season matchup. They are a strong squad. And I think there's a little bit of controversy on whether or not they deserve the number one seed over Duke. But as the selection committee told us on Sunday, Duke entered the ACC tournament on the four line. They had to work their way up and they didn't do enough to get on that one seed line. So North Carolina, probably your favorite in that region. But Minnesota actually is a five seed in that bracket, and they are coming out of a weak Big Ten conference to play a hot middle Tennessee State team who went 30-4 and four on the season, averaging more than 75 points per game. I like middle Tennessee. I think each year we always talk about the trendy 12-5 upsets that happened in March. Middle Tennessee is that team. They can light it up on the scoreboard. I just don't have a lot of confidence in Big Ten basketball this year. I, I think that was... You know, they typically put out strong teams. Michigan State is down. Wisconsin is all right. 
Uh, Michigan had the remarkable run in the uh, the Big Ten tournament after having their incident with a, a plane running off the runway and actually forcing the team to show up late and actually have to uh, wear their practice jerseys. But they overcame that, won the tournament. But I think Middle Tennessee has the chance to make a run, potentially get to that Sweet 16. But the bottom half of the bracket is kind of intriguing to me as well. Of course, you've got Kentucky, who won the SEC uh, regular season and postseason tournament, and uh, they are the number over, number two overall seed and play the winner of Dayton Wichita State. And if you're not familiar with Dayton Wichita State, and you know I'm just doing broad assumptions real quick and assuming that Kentucky wins that game, but Dayton is a seven seed, Wichita State is a ten seed, and if you know anything about college basketball, the Shockers are the 10 seed. And and that's just remarkable to me. They are 30 and four on the season. They won the Missouri Valley conference. We talked about metrics early on. Ken Palm has them as a top 10 team in the country. That's not a good matchup for Dayton. I, I really like Wichita state in that game. And that's not a good matchup for Kentucky. Kentucky coming in as a number two seed. You want an easy path to the Sweet 16, to that second weekend, having to face a Ken Palm team in Wichita State, their ranks in the top 10, that's not an easy task. And so that should be a fun matchup in the uh, the second round, but we'll see what happens. If I'm picking my Final Four, and we all know that on this show, we are terrible at making predictions. I think last year I predicted that Clemson would win the national championship. They ultimately did, but the rest of the predictions that I had throughout the season were not that great. If I'm picking my final four right now, I'm going to have to go with Duke, Kansas, Arizona, and I think UCLA. I think UCLA is a very talented team. Lonzo Ball uh, had a remarkable freshman campaign, you know, lost in the uh, the Pac-12 tournament to Arizona. They are a great club. I think those are my four teams. Would I like to see Baylor in the final four in Phoenix? Yes, but I think I'm going to have to settle with the Baylor Lady Bears heading to the Final Four in Dallas. So March Madness, of course, you have the first few games in Dayton, and then the real first round starts Thursday and Friday, and it should be a lot of fun. Here on the Weekly Brew Podcast, we are going to be posting a bracket challenge on our Facebook page. So if you like sports, if you like March Madness, if you like bracket challenges, stay tuned for that earlier this week. Uh, early next week we're going to be posting that on our facebook page on our website and the winner of the bracket challenge will get a 50 dollars gift card to amazon so it's a great way to uh have a competition between the hosts on the show and maybe you know win an amazon gift card so stay tuned for that we'll be posting that shortly but uh, you know uh, one other thing that i want to discuss is the world baseball classic and i i, I know that It's not baseball season officially. I know that a lot of you right now are concerned about the NBA, waiting for college football and the NFL to take place, but I love baseball. It's America's pastime, and the World Baseball Classic is going on right now. And uh, We actually had Hunter Atkins on the show last week, and of course he talked about probably the Cinderella team in the World Baseball Classic, and that's Israel. If you're not following, they've just been a fun team to watch. And they've got a minch on the bench. If you've seen Shark Tank, you know what I'm talking about. It's a giant stuffed animal on the bench. And uh, they played well in their pool play. Uh, Israel pretty much 
missed on all of the big names. Of course, Hunter talked about Alex Bregman. But they knocked off Korea, who a lot of people thought that, you know, they would contend for a championship. They knocked them off two to one. They beat Taiwan fifteen to seven. And they beat the Netherlands four to two. Now to open things up in Tokyo for the right to head to the United States and contend for a title, they played Cuba. And we know that Cuba is a phenomenal baseball island. And they put out talent left and right. We've seen so many people defect from Cuba, from their national team, ended up making you know phenomenal careers here in the United States. Of course, Uleski Gurriel for the Astros. He's going to be playing first base this season. Actually had a lot of work with Jeff Bagwell this past weekend in spring training, but Israel knocked Cuba off 4-1. to one. Israel is the darling of the World Baseball Classic, and I think that they are one win away from heading to San Diego, which would just be a remarkable feat. And of course, the top two teams in Pool E that are playing right now in Tokyo advance to uh, San Diego uh, for the next round. But let's look at the United States real quick. If you haven't watched the games on the MLB Network, I highly recommend that you do so. There was a game on Saturday night between the Dominican Republic and the United States. Of course, the U.S. jumped out to a 5-0 lead. The Dominicans stormed back, won that game by a final score of 7-5. And that crowd was electric. We often talk about how baseball is kind of a boring sport, how it doesn't necessarily move, the pace is slow. This was a game that lasted over three hours. And if you watched the game, it looked like a World Cup atmosphere. The fans were going nuts. Dominican fans just, I don't know, they just brought it. I, I, I think if you're a baseball fan, you have to appreciate the fandom that that country has, that island has for baseball. And of course, the offensive talent that that team has is just remarkable. The Dominican Republic and the United States are both advancing to the next round of the World Baseball Classic. Uh, Dominican clinching their final game against Colombia on Sunday afternoon. Of course, the United States shelling the uh, team from Canada 8 to nothing, And I think that just proves that, at best, Canada's, you know, like a loft over a really nice party. I think the United States just owned them, and it was nice to see uh, the U.S. bounce back after that heartbreaking defeat against the team from the Dominican Republic. But a lot of fun. If you if you haven't watched the World Baseball Classic, tune in. MLB Network. A lot of great talent. It's a very exciting atmosphere to see the players get involved, to see the players' excitement. It's what baseball is all about. I, I, I think for fans that only watch in October and love the excitement, I mean, you, you probably watched the Cubs, Indians, and that Game 7 and how remarkable it was. The game between the United States and the Dominican was on that level. So I highly encourage you to check out the World Baseball Classic and also uh, check out uh, Hunter's article that he posted last week for the Houston Chronicle. Uh, Great story highlighting the Israeli baseball team. And of course, uh, they are the darlings of the World Baseball Classic. But before we head into the interviews with both Paul Catalina from ESPN Central Texas and Lee Jenkins, the senior sports writer, NBA sports writer for Sports Illustrated. Let's talk about the Rockets for a moment. You know, they dropped a heartbreaker in San Antonio earlier this week. They led for, you know, the most of the game. And then Kawhi Leonard did it on both ends late in the fourth quarter. 
he showed why he is an MVP candidate. He had a nice block toward the end, went down, or a nice three-pointer, went down, blocked James Harden to ultimately steal that game for the Spurs. And then, of course, the Spurs on Saturday night take on the Golden State Warriors. And if you're an NBA fan, you've got to be a little bit disappointed about that game. That game had a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation, but nobody played in that game. It was essentially bench versus bench. And that's frustrating if you're an NBA fan to see two teams contending for the Western Conference one seed rest all of their starters. It's frustrating. Spurs, of course, win that game in big fashion. They now sit just a half game out of first place in the Western Conference, and I think they're probably going to get the number one overall seed. I I, I think the Warriors have been struggling a lot without Kevin Durant. They don't have the depth that they had on last year's team. So I think that plays well for the Rockets. I think Rockets and Spurs, a lot of people anticipated them maybe playing in the semifinals. But now you look at the possibility of potentially the Rockets playing against the Golden State Warriors in the second round of the playoffs. And I think that matchup is a little bit better for the Rockets. It's going to be high scoring, a lot of threes, defense questionable. But the Rockets have so much depth, and I, I think they proved it on Sunday night. They had a nine-point lead early against Cleveland. The Cavaliers, LeBron James, Kyrie Irving came back, had a 13-point lead, and then in that third quarter, the Rockets just took over. They had a nice run in the game. Uh, you know, Ryan Anderson hit a few big threes. Patrick Beverly continued to play pesky defense, had some big buckets in critical moments. Of course, we saw Nene. Uh, Capella down low. This is a remarkable effort. And James Harden, my gosh, that guy is so fun to watch. He had 38 points in the win, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists. His 16th double double of the season. That's a huge win for the Rockets. A lot of fans of the NBA don't really get excited for the regular season. Until April comes around, when the NBA playoffs start. The game on Sunday night was everything that the Spurs-Warriors on Saturday wasn't. This had all of your star power players, your high caliber, your MVP caliber, your all-star players, playing lights out. LeBron, nearly a triple-double as well. I think Harden outdueled him. I think Harden showed why, despite what Nick Wright from Fox Sports won, thinks i think harden is your mvp he just makes this team and everyone around him so much better and it's fun to watch in fact here in just uh, a few moments we're gonna have lee jenkins on from sports illustrated and he's going to discuss james harden kind of what has made him go this year what has made him take his game to the next level why playing for team usa during the summer was not the right thing for him how he fits in D'Antoni's system. We just had a question come in from uh, from Waco, Texas, and it says, thoughts on this year bracket. Uh, I, I think you joined just a little bit late. Go ahead and rewind on the podcast, and you'll see uh, my thoughts. But again, uh, that's another reminder to pay attention to Facebook this week. We'll have our bracket challenge from the Weekly Brew podcast. And of course, 
the winner of the bracket challenge will get a $50 gift card from Amazon. So make sure to register for that and also tell your friends to register for that. Uh, so look for that on our Facebook page and weeklybrewcast.com this week. But again, we have two great interviews for you here in just a few moments. We've got Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated joining us. And Kevin is actually going to handle that interview. And then I speak with Paul Catalina from ESPN Central Texas. We discuss Baylor, March Madness, whether or not Tony Romo ends up in a Texans uniform. And I'm making a plea to Tony Romo. Your family is in Dallas. It's a 40-minute flight from Houston to Dallas. Do the right thing. Join the Texans. But uh, if you like the work that we do here on the Weekly Brew Podcast, uh, make sure to follow us on our social media channels. That's Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We've had some great guests on the show. Of course, uh, headline this week by Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated. We've got some great guests lined up here in the next few weeks that I think you're all going to like. And if you want to get instant updates from the Weekly Brew, go to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. Click subscribe. You'll get all of our episodes pushed to your inbox. So it's a great thing to have. But uh, thanks to everyone for tuning into Facebook Live for the intro of the show. Uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun tonight. And of course, you can hear this episode. And I hope you're listening to this episode right now on iTunes or SoundCloud. But again... We have two great guests about to join us, Paul Catalina from ESPN Central Texas and Lee Jenkins from Sports Illustrated. So without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is uh, no stranger to the show, and that's Paul Catalina, uh, co-host of You Make the Call on ESPN Central Texas. And uh, we wanted to bring Paul on to discuss two things. One, uh, Baylor basketball and the Big 12 heading into March Madness, and also Tony Romo, what is going on with him? Is he going to be a Houston Texan? Uh, But Paul, let's start off really quickly with, uh, well, first off, thanks for joining us again on the show. And uh, let's start off with Baylor basketball. Disappointing result in Kansas City. Uh, losing to Kansas State uh, in the opening round, uh, but you get New Mexico State in the uh, you know the first round of the NCAA tournament. You're going to be a three seed playing in Tulsa, close to home. What is the vibe right now in Waco? Uh, you know, with everything that's gone on the past week. I think everybody's pretty excited. I think that they like uh, the fact that they're they're as close to home as they could be. Uh, that's the closest one. People can get in their cars and drive. Uh, they're not going to have to fly to Providence or Jacksonville. And I can tell you, as a person who spent two days in both of those cities the last two years, uh, that was not uh, really attractive to a lot of Baylor fans. They had <laughs> the smallest – they had, I mean, last year they, were, they played Yale in the first round. Well, Yale's, you know, right down the road uh, from Providence, Rhode Island. Yale, um, you know, a, a school even smaller and less interested in sports than Baylor ever would be, uh, outdrew them. You know, in, in that tournament. So, uh, you know, you, you'll have some fans up there. Uh, if if you do win, and, you know, I hate to have to say a 314 is an if you do win, but uh, Austin, you know, we've seen the last two years falling out to, to R.J. Hunter and and, and, uh, and Georgia State and then and then falling out until Yale last year. Uh, you know, this this is something that's, that's going to be in everyone's minds until there's zeros on the clock and Baylor's number is bigger than New Mexico State's number. That, that's just what's going to be on their minds. But this is a team that's a little bit different. They're built differently than 
some of the teams in the past, as you saw in the non-conference schedule, they ran through that. Uh, they're used to playing close games, so uh, I think that that's going to serve them well. And, and they're happy that the, with the draw that they got, at least going to Tulsa. I'm not so sure how happy they are with, you know, Villanova in there. In, you know, of course, that wouldn't be to the Final Four, but – uh, but Duke, again, potential Elite Eight matchup, uh, a really tough 16 in SMU. So all those things are good and exciting and, and, and present a good challenge. And if they're going to you know, make a run at this anyway, you're going to have to beat good teams. So you can yeah, when you look at the Ken Palm rankings, which I think are a little hard, more accurate than the road. RPI, you've got six teams in the top 13 in that region. Of course, Villanova at number two, Virginia at number seven, Florida at number nine, SMU at 11, Duke 12, and Baylor 13. This is a stacked region. Yeah, it, re- it really is. And, uh, you know, like, <laughs> they're going to have it tough no matter what. And, you know, their their first goal is just get one win, then get two wins. I know that sounds cliche, but you, you just have to deal with what's in front of you. And you can't worry about what everybody else is doing. So they got to focus on what's going on uh, in Tulsa uh, on, on Friday afternoon. Yeah, and, and Coach Scott Drew uh, spoke to the media on Sunday afternoon, and he had mentioned that you know it wasn't necessarily disappointing getting that one or two seed. He said that he was more concerned on location, and of course, uh, location, this is probably as close to home as you can get outside of playing in Dallas. But uh, New Mexico State, 28-5 uh, and five on the year. Uh, they had the WAC Player of the Year, Ian Baker, senior guard, averaged 16.6 points, 4.3 rebounds, and 4.1 assists per game. Uh, is this a tough matchup for the Bears, or do you kind of anticipate them uh, moving forward or potentially playing? SMU? Uh, I think it's a good matchup for them. I mean, anytime you've got a guy uh, who puts up numbers like that, that's going to pose a problem for you. But really, when Baylor has seen teams that haven't schemed against their defense, which uh, they, they run zone and man, man-to-man, man uh, which is not something Scott Drew's done in the past. He's, he's kind of been almost exclusively for a few years a zone team. Uh, you know, I, I think since the days of Kevin Rogers. They kind of went away from from man on man and went to the zone, uh, and that served them well. But this is a team that can do both. That's very defensively charged. That's that's kind of their strength. And and one of the things you'll notice, Austin, if Baylor scores seventy points, they will not lose a game, and they right. haven't this year when they've done that. If they give up seventy points, well, the, the <laughs> they've lost almost every time they've done that. So they're not an offensive team. It would be great, and it would be amazing if they could get Motley and Monolacan and Al Freeman to all have good scoring nights in one game. And if that happened, they'd probably score 75 points, and they'll win that game. That That's what they'll do. If they can average 70 in the tournament, they're going to win almost every game they play, no matter who they match up against, because when you look up and down the Big 12, that's what they did. And you're not going to face you know, many better teams than you do in the Big 12 you know, you're tougher teams and, and more even matchups. So uh, I think it's a good matchup, and I think this team is hungry to prove that it's not just some kind of tournament tourist like they've been the last couple of years, that they do have that history of two Elite Eights and three Sweet Sixteens under Scott Drew, and they want to add to that this year. And even though uh, the games will be tough and SMU in the second round, uh, which is probably going to be SMU, uh, you know, the, the playing guy, the, you know, Providence or USC – those playing teams are always kind of at a disadvantage, so uh, I, 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 would, I would go ahead and pick SMU into that game anyway. That's a tough matchup, but again, the place will be rocking too, so that's, that's another good thing is that you'll have 
you know, two fan bases from close by that can come to that game to see their team get in the Sweet 16, maybe. Yeah, SMU is an intriguing team to me. They they lack a lot of depth. They lack height. Uh, you know, their their tallest player is 6'8". They don't really have a lot of wingspan. They have a six-man rotation, but they, they can put up points uh, in a hurry. But uh, that, to me, is a really intriguing matchup. But uh, one of the questions that I have for you is uh, Manu Lacombe, he's kind of been the engine that keeps the team running on offense. Uh, he's had some injury issues with the ankle the past few weeks, set out the final two games of the season, looked okay in the Big 12 tournament. And then also you've got concerns with uh, Motley, and I believe a finger injury. Are, are, are those two injuries uh, big concerns for Baylor heading into the tournament or do you think kind of losing in that first round of the Big 12 tournament was more of a blessing in disguise well I mean there were certainly benefits to it they they wanted to win the tournament because they didn't win the conference title uh, outright that was their goal but I do I do kind of agree with you that there are some positives to it is that Miley dislocated the finger he's played through that before that usually heals pretty quickly um, and Manu he he needed the, probably a couple more days rest but he did look really good the other night for a guy coming off a, a pretty bad ankle injury, uh, you know, that he had that he couldn't, you know, as as I guess it was a minor injury compared to some of the severe ankle injuries. But, he, you know, it was rough for the last, uh, you know, it was more than just the last two games that he missed. It was something that was kind of nagging him and then it worsened uh, against, I guess that would have been uh, Oklahoma that he, he really kind of tweaked it against. But the – you know, they're ready to go, and they'll be ready by Friday. I think that's the other thing they get. You know, they get a full week of not playing games, which is really, really good for them. Uh, and they don't have to travel far. They'll, they'll be good to go and, and, and ready to rock. Uh, as, and, and they'll get to see. I think that'll be good for them. And I do think it hurt them last year when you roll into – or the last two years when you roll into Jacksonville, you roll into Providence, and the only people that you see that you know are me and the newspaper guys at John Mills. <laughs> You know, like, that's it. You don't see anybody, you know, none of the – this. the other thing about Tulsa is the students can go to this game. Right. Students, even though they're coming off of spring break, the students can get – they can get a student bus and send them up there. They can arrange that. They can get students to this game. You cannot get students to Providence and Jacksonville on, on a on a three-day notice no matter what. But you can get them to Tulsa, and that, I think, will be even more important and more of an advantage is that – Students will be there because I can promise you, if there were students there, their parents were very well to do the last couple of years. And I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that's what they had to do because who can just go to Jacksonville or Providence on a, on a whim uh, in the middle of the week? Uh, you know, now you get students in cars. They can get tickets and, and, and go up there and go. Yeah, I can tell you that it, uh, as a student back in 2010 when Baylor made that Elite Eight run and ultimately lost to Duke here in Houston, uh, that was a remarkable thing to go to. I mean, I remember leaving campus. Everyone from campus was there. It was just a phenomenal uh, thing to see. But we've got six Big 12 teams in the tournament. And, of course, uh, Kansas, the number one overall seed, and uh, you know the Big 12 tournament champions, Iowa State, are also in the same bracket, the Midwestern bracket. Uh, Paul, there's a chance that those two teams can meet up in the Sweet 16 in Kansas City. Uh, does this kind of perplex you a little bit? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm fired up about that. Actually, I, I think that that would be that would be great. And, and I, you know, I just came from Kansas City. They would, I mean, the city would absolutely love that. They would absolutely love it. Um, considering that uh, Kansas and Iowa State were are the two fan bases that draw the most in Kansas City, they'd be more than happy to go back there. Uh, <laughs> more than happy they'd be love it uh, and you know it is strange for, I, I mean Iowa State probably like pretending like they're happy about this uh, in that they can go and it's close 
But I don't know how happy they really will be about it. Because, you know, do you really want to play Kansas again? Uh, you know, they're really good. Now, what what I will be interested to see with Kansas, and they, they lost, you know, early on in the Big 12 tournament as well. They got upset by TCU. Uh, but Josh Jackson will be back, and that's, a, that's of course, a difference maker. But Kansas is not very, as you saw against TCU, they are not deep. They're good. I mean, the, the guys that they put on the floor are good, but Baylor's a deeper team. Uh, you know, you could argue that West Virginia is a deeper team. So are they going to be raring to go uh, on, you know, next week, you know, in a Sweet 16 matchup? Uh, against a team that is you know, Iowa State goes a little bit deeper than Kansas as far as numbers go. Kansas is, is you know talent is great on the floor and they have great guard play, but you know well, if they get in foul trouble against a good team, they can lose. But they fought their way through so many close games, you cannot count them out of anybody. They could be playing, you know, <laughs> the the ninety one Bulls, uh, <laughs> and they just might they just might have it have it in them to keep that sucker close. So I, I, I really like I really like what Bill Self does there, uh, but I would love to see that. I, I hope I hope that happens. Uh, you know, of course, Iowa State's got to get through uh, Nevada, and they've got to get through, you know, uh, the Purdue and Vermont winner, which I assume would be Purdue, uh, before that even happens. But believe me, both of those fan bases are kind of salivating for that. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, again, the top four teams in the tournament are Villanova, Kansas, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. Uh, but you have some hot teams going into the tournament. Duke, of course, making a nice run there uh, You know, in the ACC tournament. And, of course, Arizona winning the Pac-12 tournament. Uh, if you're kind of handicapping uh, the four teams that we'll see in Phoenix or possibly uh, the team that we can see win it all, who do you have? Um, other than you know the number one seeds like Kansas, I like Kansas a lot because – Again, they can win a lot of close games. I talked about their depth a second ago, uh, but I like them. Uh, I I don't really like Villanova to repeat because it's a really hard thing to do. Um, Duke and Florida I really like. I think those teams are really good. And Duke, if Grayson Allen can keep his cool, uh, they're going to win games. I mean, that, that's what's been their M.O. lately in, in the, the run they went on late with Coach K back and Grayson Allen behaving like a human being. You know, that, that's good. And I would love to see that Sweet 16 matchup in New York with Baylor and Duke. Austin, you were there. You saw that horrible, awful call. It's still hot. So, and I don't I don't bag on the refs. It's a rule of mine, but that was a horrible, awful call. Uh, I, I At the level, my eye level, I could see Brad Zubek's feet moving. So I knew it was a block. You knew it was a block. The guy who called it thought it was a charge. And that changed that whole game. But I digress. <laughs> And the, but they're you know I, I know that Scott Drew and staff would love to see that uh, or maybe they wouldn't I don't know they're, they're not really vengeful people but I do think it probably sticks in their craw a little bit because that would have been a final four trip for Baylor um, for sure had that call not been made and the game didn't swing on that but I, I think it might be the Zags year I I, I like them a lot uh, they made a great run through their season and you know this this is maybe the team that they've got that's the best put together. Of course, the question is always, you know, who are they really beaten, and are they going to hit a team in the bracket uh, down the line that, that's just better than them? You know, is it Notre Dame who's in the ACC uh, who who plays good teams every night? Is it West Virginia who presses like crazy? Um, you know, uh, is it you know does it get all the way down to the to the point in the Elite Eight where they might play a good Arizona team or maybe even a Florida State team that uh, wins in spite of their terrible coach? Uh, so <laughs> but. 
<laughs> you know, I I think that uh, the you know we'll see. They, they've got a tough. They, you know, they've got ACC and Big Twelve teams all up and down. You know, possibility for them to play. Can they really hang with teams from those conferences that are so deep and so good and don't play blowout games every night? If you look at down the ACC and the Big Twelve, you're not seeing a lot of blowout games, but especially between the good teams, even even some of the lower rung teams, you just don't you don't see it. It's close conferences, so are they going to be able to hang with those teams that play those? So uh, it, it, it's it, it, it's going to be an interesting tournament. And the one thing I think that's been true about this year, and everyone said it, there's no there's no Anthony Davis led Kentucky team that is just all world. You know, there's no there's no team like that. Uh, Kentucky's another team that could could obviously make a run just because their young guys are getting good right at the right time. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And again, the Bears tip off in Tulsa Friday morning against uh, you know a, a pretty good New Mexico team, and hopefully we can see them make it to the second weekend. But uh, Paul, one of the big things for us here in Houston this past week was a kind of the shock that the Texans were able to deal Brock Osweiler uh, to the Broncos, to uh, not to the Broncos, uh, but to the Browns to kind of free up some cap space in hopes of pursuing a free agent quarterback or perhaps a trade with someone like uh, Tony Romo. And, and I know that you cover the Cowboys a lot, and obviously uh, Romo has had injury issues the past few years, and Dak Prescott obviously taking over as the uh, the long-term answer for the Cowboys at quarterback. Uh, here in Houston, we need a quarterback. Is Is Tony Romo the guy? Uh, I think I think there's a good chance that that's where he goes. Uh, they're going to have to overcome the lure of John Elway uh, because John Elway, uh, he can speak quarterback. And the Houston Texans, as you know, they're not even close. They'd have to get, uh, you know, Google Translate to get them to speak quarterback. They've never <laughs> had someone that's any good at that position. Uh, and, and even still, part of the reason they never have is, the only time they've ever invested a valuable draft pick in it was David Carr, who they didn't build around and protect. And that guy got so shell-shocked uh, that, that he never reached his, his full potential. He was a gigantic bust. So I think there's good potential because Tony Romo doesn't want to go that far from home. And, you know, it's a 40-minute flight or whatever it is from Houston to Dallas. So, he, you know, the, the family, he can be with the family really quickly. Um, it's a risky investment for either side. Uh, and he was never going to get traded. Uh, you know, that's 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 Jerry trying to say he's showing an ace when he's he's got an ace and a two, uh, and he's got nothing. So he, uh, you know, that, that he's hoping that what he thought was, and it's w- worth to try, that if Denver or Houston really wants him, the only way they can guarantee he doesn't go talk to the other team is for us to trade him to one of those teams. But both Denver and Houston are, are really smart organizations, and they know that there's not much worth in a guy who's played four games in two years. Right. So as far as trade goes, they know the Cowboys have to have to release him eventually, and they know that they will. Uh, so no matter what Jerry Jones has said, and this is the time of year in the NFL where you don't believe anything that you hear. It's all it's all smoke screens and deception. But I think there's a good chance that Tony Romo winds up in Houston. I think that's that's maybe a better Houston and Denver to me is a is a ladder is it's equal. You know they're both strong, very strong on defense. Really, just need a quarterback to to make that thing go, and they can win a Super Bowl. And he's a one to two year fix. I, I think if he won the Super Bowl, he might hang it up and and you know just put a big sign of a ring out front of his house in Dallas. 
saying, oh, I never did it with you, but I did it with somebody else. Yeah, that'd be nice to see him win a Super Bowl here in Houston. And, of course, uh, when your best quarterback in franchise history is Matt Schaub, you've kind of got some issues. But uh, we hope to see Tony Romo or at least some sort of resemblance of a quarterback here in Houston. Uh, but, Paul, it's always great to have you uh, on the podcast, whether it's talking Baylor athletics or NFL. Uh, what is the best way for our listeners to follow you on Twitter or social media if they don't already? Uh, just I'm at Paul Kedlin on Twitter. I'm not. I'm a less prolific tweeter than I used to be, but – Anything, all of our shows and everything that we do, all of our interviews are always up on my, on my Twitter uh, timeline. If I do stay in a pain, it's usually when I'm traveling and I'm at an airport. Uh, <laughs> people, people, you know, have elaborate shoes. For some reason, they, they, they miss the news that uh, the TSA exists. So, <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I tweet. But, uh, or, you know, a lot of times, you know, what's going on during games, I tweeted this week during Baylor's one Big 12 tournament game. And uh, I will tweet next week from Tulsa uh, for the for the New Mexico State game and any subsequent games and any subsequent cities uh, from here on out. So. so make sure to follow him at Paul Catalina on Twitter. And again, he talks a lot about Baylor Athletics, Dallas Cowboys, Texas Rangers, and uh, Central Football High School, well, Central Texas High School football. But Paul, you were the first guest that we had on the Weekly Brew, and it's uh, it's an honor to have you again for episode 85. We appreciate it. Well, I'm, I, you know, you can have me anytime. Austin, love having... Uh, uh, you know, a chance to talk to you guys. And my, my, my worry for the Texans is that Tony Romo goes to Denver and then they get Jay Cutler. Don't. Which would be the most texans <laughs> thing to happen to them. Don't wish that evil on us, Paul. <laughs> I don't wish it. I don't wish it on anybody. I don't want, I don't want Jay Cutler to go to the Redskins. I don't want to the Redskins. Well, Paul, we appreciate it. It's been great. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Austin. You're listening to the Weekly Brew. So we now welcome into the Weekly Brew podcast uh, Sports Illustrated's uh, NBA senior writer, Lee Jenkins, who recently wrote a piece entitled uh, James Harden, The Beard Untangles His Life and Game, which uh, was a really terrific piece about James Harden, obviously the uh, superstar here in town for the Houston Rockets. And uh, Lee, we appreciate you joining us so much. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing very well uh, this morning as we're recording this. And, uh, and honestly, it's nice to see James Harden getting this kind of analysis, this kind of attention, uh, you know, in the national media and so forth. Because I think he's kind of a, an enigmatic, interesting character to me. He, he's a little bit opaque, I think, sometimes. Not necessarily as approachable or open as maybe like a LeBron James or some other stars in the league. Is that the sense you get from him? Is that just kind of uh, something that maybe people that are casual fans and observers see that and there's more to it? No, I think that's right. I think... Uh, he can be a little bit elusive as far as interviews go, a little reluctant. And it's interesting because when you look at him, obviously, when you look at the beard and you look at kind of the way he dresses and, you know, some of the choices he's made, even as far as kind of off-court lifestyle, you would, I think, assume that he's sort of an open book, that he's kind of an outrageous character and has kind of a big outsized personality. And then when you actually sit down and talk with him, you you realize that the opposite is the case. So I do think those two kind of conflicting characteristics kind of do create sort of a more nuanced, you know, more nuanced person and kind of interesting guy to, to write about. I've profiled him now a couple different times. And, you know, I think there's, I do think it's, he is kind of an elusive subject. And I think there's sort of an air of, of mystery to him. I also think there's 
a little bit of genius in some of the things he does. Genius or madness? I think we, we deal with that with the head coach here as well. But uh, certainly, Rockets, an interesting story top to bottom. But, but James Harden, when you have a superstar, I think, you place unfair expectations on them sometimes as a city, maybe. You talk about what Cleveland does to LeBron uh, or what maybe, uh, you know, there's a couple guys in Golden State, I think, that they're being relied upon very heavily. But but people criticize his character. You know, he had some adversity last year, called last year the worst year of his life. Obviously, the Rockets struggled, uh, particularly with having two very— you know, talented guys on the roster. They expect to do well for them there. I, you know, that's part of a lot of narratives. If you watch a, a movie about a sporting event or whatever, you know, it's usually you're going to find there's going to be some early success and promise. There's going to be some kind of adversity and then some kind of really big success. Is that is that kind of the, the path that's here? How valuable is that adversity in crafting a superstar with character that, that people want to see? Yeah, I mean, so his path has been a little different. I mean, that would be, I think the typical superstar path is, you know, famous basically by the time you're 15 or 16 years old, uh, you know, life's pretty smooth and pretty great for a few years. Not a lot of self-reflection drafted very high, go into a bad situation, get big numbers early, but lose a lot of games, get to a point where the numbers, the fame, the money isn't enough and sort of kind of take a look in the mirror and then become you know, kind of the best version of themselves at 26, 27 years old. I mean, I'm boiling this down. It's very stereotypical, but it is kind of the typical NBA first star route. And then you sort of see guys on that, you know, once they hit that sort of age, um, you know, a lot of them kind of catch up, you know, things that might've been missed as far as, you know, education and, you know, areas of life that might've been neglected when they were late teenagers because they were basically prodigies. Uh, those are revisited. And you kind of get the fully formed best version of, of a player around that age. Harden is different because, you know, he had a lot of those things. He wasn't necessarily, you know, he wasn't necessarily, uh, he was a big time recruit. He wasn't necessarily top of his class, had success at Arizona State, had a lot of success in high school, played for a high school powerhouse, drafted high, where his story kind of diverges is that he went to a team that was full of form. You know, usually you don't have a guy picked you know, in the top five who goes to a good team. Usually those guys go to horrible teams. So he went to the Thunder, and they were ready to rock. I shouldn't say fully formed, but they were a playoff team essentially right away after he got there. And they were a really popular team. He obviously was in that six-man role, sort of the third wheel with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. And I think that shapes a lot of things. He never lost. He didn't have those losing experiences early. He also didn't have that star turn early. So some of that kind of got pushed back. It took him going to Houston. That was when he sort of became a star for the first time, when he was able to you know, pile up some of those individual accolades, personal numbers, and experience some of the losing then. Not losing on a big scale. Rockets are, were a good team. Um, last year's team, of course, is 500. But that was last year was the closest Harden came I believe, to, to team-wide disappointment, even going back to high school or before that. So, you know, how he dealt with that, how, you know, all these guys deal with that is, is interesting. I mean, it's first time kind of in that crucible. Um, and I think he did make some changes because when you look back at, you know, how he handled really that first major star turn, the MVP runner-up year, Western Conference Finals, referring to 2015. So after that, you know, I think some things got, got really big. You know, he signed the big shoe deal, $200 million shoe deal with Adidas. He started dating Khloe Kardashian. You know, there was a lot of 
there's a lot of fame. There are a lot of things that came that come at you, and I think all NBA stars have to figure out for themselves, you know, how much they can handle because there there's so much these guys are dealing with away from the TV that's off the court. So many different kind of pressures that other athletes in other sports, frankly, don't have to deal with that much. You know, so much is on these guys, and they have to kind of figure out what they can handle while still making the main thing the main thing, as Pat Riley likes to say. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you brought that up so it didn't have to be me that went there. But, of course, you know, that's all people talked about on talk radio uh, or sports talk radio in particular around this area when they were dating. You know, for some reason that I don't understand, the Kardashians are just like a black hole of fame and celebrity. And it, you talk about, in the article, the gap between where Harden was, where even a guy like LeBron James is, versus where those A-list type celebrities like the Kardashians are, and that obviously made an impact in his life as well, people following him around with cameras, stuff like that. I kind of felt like reading the way you analyzed it and the way it played out in real time, that it spoke to maybe his character or maturity, that he just kind of took a look at that, got a taste of it, and went, that's not for me. I actually know what I want, and it's this. And he kind of moved on from that, because that's how I read it. Yeah, and you know, I don't want to... It was weird. The year Lamar Odom started dating Chloe, he actually won Sixth Man of the Year. It, it was in some ways his best season. So I'm not going to say is it like, and I, and I don't think they deserve or, or she deserves the blame for last year. I think it was a combination of things. And I think a lot of it was environmental. Uh, you know, what kind of fit was around Harden? What kind of forces were in that locker room? Dwight Howard. And then there were some things within Harden within Hard that I think had to change also. Um, that added up to sort of a toxic environment around the Rockets. And, you know, I think a lot of a lot of players, they do, as big as they are, as big as their sort of, you know, rep, you know, personas are, there is sort of a hunger, I think, sometimes to, you know, to double down and to create, you know, sort of as much momentum around yourself. I hate the word brand, but as much, you know, you kind of maximize that brand. I mean, this is a guy who had a 200, you know, had a $200 million shoe deal, and there's, there are responsibilities there as far as promotion and kind of driving attention. So that's one way, um, you know, when you date someone more famous than yourself, that's one way to do it. I mean, I'll, I'll just share a quick story. I was with LeBron James for a piece um, in the fall. I was with him at a Browns game. We were in a, a suite and at the in Cleveland football stadium and Tristan Thompson and Chloe were there and they were sitting in the front row and LeBron was also in the front row. And it was weird to see because, they were kind of, the fans were really close by. And a lot of them, of course, were looking at LeBron and, you know, taking pictures of him with their cell phone cameras. But just as many, it seemed like, were interested in, in Chloe. And it was sort of a wake-up call, even in Cleveland, that there is a difference between sports celebrity and Hollywood celebrity. It, they sports just narrowed the gap, you know, especially NBA players. They're bigger than ever before. But managing that kind of fame and that kind of white-hot scrutiny it really has to be for you. And I think there are some, there are some people who can handle that. When we go back to how we started, you know, with Harden's personality, again, his persona and his true personality are a little different. And I, I always wondered if that was really the best fit for him. If once you get past the beard and the wardrobe, if he really kind of wanted all of those things to come, to come with that or is capable of handling them. Um, and I'm not going to say that last year was all of, direct correlation with the Kardashians, but I don't think it was. Um, but I do think it was part of this sort of need to, you know, kind of focus for any big superstar on, you know, what's really important, you know, what do you feel committed to and what do you feel like you have to do? And I think part, part of that kind of tabloid 
world was something that he was able to pare down and probably the natural form to pare down. I think it's an interesting comparison because Howard was here. The way they kind of approached their careers, I think Howard was often criticized for not taking uh, basketball seriously enough for having his focus too divided on uh, you know maybe rap projects or getting into the movies or just being a celebrity of some kind. I, I think that rubbed people the wrong way, and that's part of you know this general atmosphere of dislike or contempt that exists towards Dwight Howard. But but Harden, the way I read the situation is that he kind of took a look into the abyss, is what I would term it. But you know that that you know that other world out there and said no my focus is basketball I think that's a great thing particularly for a city to have a a superstar that you've invested in and you look at him you go that guy looks like his number one priority is basketball and getting better at it and all those other things they they come from basketball you know I mean LeBron's the best guy talking about this because he's got so many interests he's got so many other things outside of it his hands and so many things but when you really drill down into kind of how he manages all of that, all of his other obligations and everything else, it all sort of stems from basketball. And there's a realization that none of this would be possible without basketball, and none of it will grow, really, without basketball. So, I mean, that it, it always has to be at the root of all of this, and you have people in your life, um, you know, these players have to find people they can trust to help manage those other things. And, it, look, it's part of this reality is these guys are – um, they are little corporations, all of them, um, but it all kind of has to stem from, from the hoops. And I do think that after last year, you never know what's really in a guy. You sit down and interview somebody for an hour or something, but you never really know what's in their, what's in their head, what's in their heart. It, what's more revealing is when you see like what they did. And, you know, what he did was he, he went back to college I and mean, he went back to Arizona State. Hunter Atkins wrote a great story about this with Chronicle. He went back to Arizona State. He got with you know, all the kind of old faces there, the people who were with him, you know, before the beard, before anything else. And, you know, sort of got himself back into what he felt was top playing shape. And then, and then he got lucky, got a little bit lucky. I mean, he got the right coach at the right time and someone whose system is uniquely suited to unleashing him. And I think for all of these, for all these players at this level, it's like there has to be some fortuitous timing. When they're at a point in their career, when they are looking for something and they are open to change, because listen, when you have these guys who've had so much success and made so much money, there's always going to be a, a natural resistance to change. I mean, it's human nature, but he was at a point where I think he wanted a little something different, a little more. And then Tony was able to give him that. So we've kind of on this show discussed a few times the awards that the Rockets might accrue uh, aside from a title this season. You talk about like executive of the year possibly in play. Obviously, you bring in Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon. They perform, I think, above expectations even. Um, certainly, uh, the most sanguine projections didn't have them making the kind of impact they're having. I think Eric Gordon's a, a legitimate six-man contender, as is Lou Williams, who's now on the team as well. So, I mean, there's a lot of those kind of things to play. MVP for Harden, for example. I mean, are there any of those you think they're out of? Are there, are there any that you think are a lock for them at this point in the season? Where do you think they kind of fall in those races? Because people love to hear about the award races. I think they're pretty much, I think they could be a lock for Coach of the Year. Brad Stevens will be right there, too. Um, you know, Pop's done Pop is again. I mean, he's always right there, but without Duncan to have them where he has them, he'll be in that conversation. But I feel like Antonio's going to win that award. Um as far as the MVP, it feels like the sand, the sand shifts in that every day. Uh, you know, this game, we're talking right now, 
on Tuesday, Monday night, of course, Kawhi Leonard had that uprising. I think that might go down to the wire a little bit. I felt like, and I still feel like Harden's in the driver's seat for that one. But you sort of, as time goes on, um, you know, storyline shifts with the MVP. And it's, it's going to be tight. I mean, I don't really think Westbrook's going to win it because I don't think they're going to have enough wins. That team would have to really surge here at the end. But, you know, when you have a guy, it's not just averaging a triple-double. It's also putting up the points he's putting up. Um, that's going to obviously help him. Leonard and LeBron are going to, they're going to kind of muddle this picture, especially if the Cavs kind of can surge to the finish. LeBron's had a heck of a season. Leonard's had a great season. So it's, um, I think it's going to be a little tighter than maybe I thought it was when I went to report the story. And I sort of felt like Harden was at that point a lock. I still would give him the advantage, but it's hard to say right now. And you're right. I mean, you're right about Maury, too. I mean, th- those were deals that I think were probably seen as high risk, given uh, you know, given the injury history that those guys had had, and they were lucrative deals. But they were great deals as far as fit. You know, whether those guys are, I said, you know, one of the points somebody made to me, and I wrote it in the store, I think in my own language, was if you can't get elite talent across the board, you go for elite fit. And that's where the, what the Rockets have done this year. It's like you can't get four superstars like Golden State. You know, nobody's going to be able to match that. You've got to try to do it a different way. What they're trying to do it, they're trying to do it by putting the best fit around their one superstar. And I really think that roster was masterfully constructed when you think about that. And you think about, you know, look, they had some kind of unreliable personalities last year and some real wild cards in that locker room. And they had a handful of them. I mean, I think every team can get away with a guy or two like that, but they, they probably had too many. And they've, they've reined that in, and they went out and got some more reliable people in that locker room, and it's it helped them also. I know, and it makes the team uh, kind of a joy to watch and root for as well. It was kind of a drag last season, even though I'm all about the Rockets. I love the Rockets, and I'll go to every game that I can. Still, it's a different kind of a vibe, and I think that you can feel it. Particularly if you go to Toyota Center, sit there in the stands, and kind of see what's going on in the game. It's, it's definitely like tangible and palpable. What, what a different attitude mentality the, uh, the team has this season. You know, you talk about D'Antoni, and obviously uh, Coach of the Year candidate, as you mentioned. Uh, the, the job he's done here has been, I think, terrific. And again, probably better than a lot of people would have hoped or expected. I remember, you know, the talk around the town was kind of bashing D'Antoni for what he'd done at his last two stops. And, you know, that was probably fair at the time, but uh, but he is impressed, certainly. Well, what is he what has he done? Because you talk about James Harden's a point guard. That was a big preseason storyline or whatever. Obviously, his numbers uh, have improved. He, he has, it seems, even more responsibilities than he's had before. What is what has D'Antoni realistically, uh, pragmatically done that has had such an impact on the squad this season? Well, he hasn't necessarily, it's not that he necessarily does anything different. I think he's tried to do the same things in all these places he's gone. It's more about needing the buy-in from the front office, needing the buy-in from that, you know, that, that star, that one player, and then having that fit. You know, a lot of coaches around the league, they kind of fit their system to their personnel. They see who they have, and then they're able to adapt. D'Antoni likes to run his system. It's, it's unique. Well, not, it's not unique anymore. I shouldn't say that. But it's, um, it's sort of defined, because so many teams have taken from it. But it's sort of defined what he does. And he needs players who fit that, you know, so you could give him like the situation in New Orleans, Anthony Davis and Boogie Cousins. Those are two great, incredible talents. Pretty much anybody would want, you know, would want to have that kind of talent on your team. But for D'Antoni, it's almost like he's better off 
with Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson. He's better off with this kind of team where you have, where it's simple. You have your lead guard and you put the ball in that guy's hands and he is the sun and the moon and the stars and everything else. And then you have a center who's able to set these sledgehammer screens for him and roll to the basket. You have shooters all around. And every play, when you watch the Rockets or you watch really those old sons, they kind of look the same. I mean, what they do is, is fairly simple. The thing he's done, I'd say more than anything, is just let Harden be everything. Do everything all the time. And it's one way to look at NBA basketball is, look, you have these, you know, basically 10 very special people. And you want to maximize. If, you ha- if you're lucky enough to have one of those guys, and the Rockets clearly do, you want to do everything you can to maximize that person. And that's what D'Antoni does. That's what his system does. It takes a guy like Harden, and it really burnishes him. Um, and then as far as everybody else, he really allows you to play free because the idea is you get the ball, you shoot it. There's no such thing as you know, if you're open and the ball finds you, you take that open shot. And guys love hearing that. You know, I talked to Beverly about that. And he's like, you know, you run through a wall for a guy like that who's going to say to you, there's no bad shot, get the ball, you take it, don't worry if you miss it. You know, that's the Antonio's whole thing. You don't worry if you miss it. You keep shooting it. And that creates a freedom that you see players play with sometimes. And that's why, you know, when you look back at Phoenix, guys who might have not, you know, flourished anywhere else, they were able to find a home. You know, guys like Raja Bell and, you know, players like that. And because they're able to play with freedom in that system. So I think that's where it helps buoys your role players. And then for your stars, it really just kind of brings out every different skill. Like a guy like Harden, it's like, this is, this is James Harden unplugged. And that's the sight to see. You talk to a lot of players. You, you might know and have some perspective uh, on this. But um, <clears throat> one thing I wonder is, you know, how attractive are the Rockets in free agency? Well, obviously, there's some tax things that come into play when you talk about Texas. There's other Texas teams, of course. It seems like you get conflicting messages from time to time about how attractive the Rockets are. But if you talk about a system like that, where guys are not afraid to shoot, are not afraid to play, I kind of feel like they have some freedom in the coach's support. Does that make a team that much more attractive to maybe uh, maybe a superstar or maybe even just like a really solid role player? Uh, you know, when when decisions have to be made in free agency, you know, in the coming years. I would think for a solid role player, it would be it would be really top of the list. I mean, for a star player, you have to think, especially a guy who walks the ball in his hands. You kind of know when you're going there. They have a guy who's got the ball in his hands a lot. And can they play without it in his hands? Yes, but they're best when it's in his hands. So you know that's you know. It, Look, if you got a star who really wants to pound the ball a lot, I suppose that would be a strike against. I think D'Antoni maybe used to uh, you know, cause more pause among star players who'd be free agents, just because when you think about Kobe's experience and Carmelo's, but the game's changed. I think guys have – the game is really caught up to D'Antoni, and I think guys around the league realize that. This is now very similar to the way the Warriors play, very similar to the way other teams play, and Harden – They've done for each other, right? I mean, D'Antoni has allowed Harden to really kind of exhibit all of his skills in the system. And I think Harden has shown that a superstar like him, a top five player, uh, can really feel comfortable in D'Antoni's system and give him that very public endorsement that he didn't have from the stars like Carmelo and Kobe. And as far as Houston in general, to me, Houston's a a top-tier free agent destination. I mean, so many players are you know, come from Houston is a great grassroots sports city. It's a city that NBA players love. They obviously have the tax advantages. They have history there. 
Uh, you know, when most of these guys were growing up, the Rockets, they've always been very competitive. And they also make, you know, they generally make, if not the most compelling, one of the most compelling cases in free agency. They do their research. You never hear about, you never hear about them like bungling a meeting. I, I think if Kevin Durant were a free agent this season, I think the Rockets would for sure get one of those meetings. And, and definitely, and I would think they would be right in the mix. So, you know, to me, they, it's going to be harder than ever to pry stars out of places because of the new CBA and the financial advantages team ha- teams have retaining their own guys. Um, but if I'm going into a meeting and I'm picking any GM or any staff in the, you know, in the league to prepare that presentation and, and put your best foot forward, plus an ownership group, plus a city that the players like to play in, shoot, I have to think Houston is right there at the top of the list. Miami would be very high as well. Um, but they, I mean, they're right there. And look, they've had success. I mean, they've had success in free agency. It's just getting these star free agents. If you go back and think about it, not many teams have gotten them. You know, Golden State just pulled one off, obviously. But it's, it's kind of unusual. LeBron's situation in Cleveland was unusual. The Miami situation was unusual. Um, it's difficult to do. That's interesting, and I'm glad to hear you say that because, you know, obviously I felt that way about Houston. It seems like if I were an NBA player, it would be an attractive destination, but I wondered if maybe I was just a homer from living here and so forth. Well, even Dallas. Dallas is an attractive destination, too, and they haven't had that much success either. It's, it's hard to get guys to leave, you know, star players to leave places they've had success. But, you know, when you think about, I think both of those Texas cities, Dallas and Houston, have, you know, they have a lot of shine among NBA players. And there are cities that, you know, you and I might like visiting that don't have as much. So it, it definitely is in the, you know, is in the group where recruiting to Houston, I think would be easy. And they also just have good recruiters. So I know you got a hard out coming up here. So one last final question, then we'll let you go, man. But, uh, you know, there's been some obviously issues in Golden State, Durant's injury, Curry slumped a little bit, you know, some, some things that maybe aren't perfect there. Um, the Rockets, I think, last time I checked, had like the third or fourth best chance in the league uh, to win the title this year. How, how much do these uh, issues that Golden State is having affect the Rockets' opportunity to win a title here, and how big is that opportunity, uh, if it's one at all? I mean, it's going to be tough. Like, if Durant had been out for the year, obviously that changes everything, but he's going to be back. You know, he'll be back. Even if they miss, he misses the first round of the playoffs, they're not going to be threatened in the first round of the playoffs anyway. So the, they will likely... I mean, the one advantage of it is they won't have to see the Warriors theoretically until the conference final. So, you know, it's horrible to say this, but, you know, maybe somebody, maybe there's another bump and bruise along the way. Maybe they're not at full strength. Maybe Durant takes a little while to get back, I suppose. But as long as Durant's back, they're going to be really hard to beat. I mean, they just, it's just the reality of the situation. I mean, I think the Rockets are going to need to get on one of those, you know, Mavericks type 2011 hot streaks where they're just, really really good from deep for a long long time and i you know they have a puncher's chance it's just it's going to be hard to knock off it's going to be hard to knock off that team for anybody they they haven't been i know uh it hasn't been maybe as smooth sailing as the team a year ago um but there are just going to be so many ways in the playoffs for them to for them to find shots and get like back baskets and you know durant's gonna have to i think uh there's gonna have to be some lingering effects for that injury uh, to really potentially derail them. And, and honestly, I hope that, that that's not the case. I don't wish ill of the guy or whatever, but it's always interesting when something like that happens and you kind of look at it from the hometown team's perspective and say that could maybe come into play at some point, but, uh, but we'll see. I, I, honestly, it's, it's a blast watching this team, and it is, uh, it's nice to have a team to root for.
And that Mavs team is probably the closest comparison. So that team was Dirk and a team kind of built around Dirk. And they won it, and they knocked off a super team. They knocked off a team with three stars in Miami that was in their first year together. And so it took them a, it was taking them a while. They weren't totally comfortable, um, that team yet. And Dallas was able to get in and sneak one out on them. You know, that's kind of when I think about the Rockets. And when you look back on that Mavs team, it was a little like this. There were some guys who, you know, it was Jason Terry, it was J.J. Barea. They did have Tyson Chandler in the middle. But they got crazy hot for a long time. They just, they made so many threes, so many big shots in that playoff run. Um, and specifically knocking off the heat. And you know, I think the Rockets are capable of that kind of a jag because they just have so many good shooters. So, but it'll take, it'll take a pretty incredible shooting display, I think, for them to, to pull it off. All right, folks, to lock. Rockets win the title. You heard it here. Lee Jenkins, write it down. Well, I, yeah, that's pretty sanguine. Honestly, I will take that. A puncher's chance is a pretty good chance. Uh, I will take that almost in a year, really, and particularly the way this team is constructed, the way it's never tanked uh, in order to get the players that want it. Well, they'll have to get through San Antonio also. They'd have to get through San Antonio first to do that, which I do think they can do. But th- that'll, be a, that'll be a tough series as well, obviously. Yeah, the West is not easy, no doubt about it. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time so much. We want everybody that listens to us to follow you on Twitter. Uh, what is your Twitter handle? How do people find you and connect with you online? Oh, it's um, SI underscore Lee Jacobs. And uh, great follow on Twitter. We certainly recommend it. Lee, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Okay, thanks so much, Kevin. Appreciate it. Closing time. Again, this has been episode 85 of the Weekly Brew Podcast, and we had two great guests, Lee Jenkins, Sports Illustrated, Paul Catalina, ESPN Central Texas. Both of them killed it. And that's what we do on the Weekly Brew Podcast. We bring great guests onto the show, and we have some phenomenal guests lined up here in the next few weeks. And uh, I was really encouraged by Paul's commentary on Baylor basketball. I think they are a hungry team. I want to see them go far. I want to see them make that second weekend of the NCAA tournament. I think they can. I'm a Bears homer. It's been disappointing the last two years to see them lose in the first round. I think this is the year they get to that second round, make another Sweet 16, and then from there, who knows what happens. March Madness is a lot of fun. I I, I definitely enjoy it each year, but make sure to uh, check out our Facebook page for information on how you can join our Bracket Challenge. Again, the winner of the bracket will get a uh, $50 gift card to Amazon. And, of course, thanks to uh, Lee Jenkins for joining us on the podcast this week. Uh, Of course, Kevin did a great job with uh, that interview. Uh, He had a lot of encouraging things to say about the Rockets. James Harden as an MVP candidate. The Rockets as a potential landing spot for free agents in 2017 during the summer. I think if you're a Rockets fan, you have to be encouraged by what he said. I think the Rockets are probably going to be the three seed in the Western Conference playoffs, and I'm excited about it. I I can't wait to see the matchups. I think there is probably one team that I don't want to play, and I think that's Utah, but if the Rockets get the Spurs or Golden State in that second round, that's going to be a lot of fun, and of course, with the Rockets beating Cleveland 117-112 on Sunday night, Harden out-dueling LeBron James, that has got to get you excited for the prospects of this team heading into the playoffs. I, I couldn't be more excited as a Rockets fan and to, to see the, you know, what's going to happen in the city. Two years ago when the Rockets made that run, knocking off the Clippers in that, you know, magical game, what was it, game five, game six, that just lit the city up. 
and I think they all backed Red Nation. And when Houston teams do well, the city rallies behind. And I, I think the city is going to rally behind the Rockets. And hopefully in June, we're talking about the Rockets winning an NBA title. I think they showed tonight that they can hang with Cleveland. They can beat them, and they can test them in a seven-game series. Harden was phenomenal. Beverly was phenomenal. Anderson, clutch as usual. But we'll see what happens. It's playoffs. Anything can happen. But it's been a fun episode coming at you uh, today, a little bit solo for the intro and the outro. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and if you did, go to iTunes. Tell me what you thought. Give me show ideas. Tell us how we can improve. We want to make this the best podcast that you listen to each week. We are the voice of Houston. We focus on Houston. We focus on U of H. We focus on Baylor. Of course, Astros, Rockets, Texans. Hopefully, we'll have some news coming up for you in the next few weeks on the quarterback situation for the Texans. Do they get Jay Cutler? Do they get Tony Romo? Does Tom Savage enter the season as the pencil starting quarterback? Or do you try to trade up and make a move in the draft? Go for a guy like Deshaun Watson. Maybe pick a little project like Pat Mahomes from Texas Tech, who had a really good NFL combine. Time will tell. The Texans have a phenomenal defense coming back next year. Of course, they lose A.J. Boye, but you have Kevin Johnson coming back to bolster that secondary. It should be a lot of fun in the offseason. I really like the move that Rick Smith made to cut ties with Brock Osweiler. It was overdue. I hope you enjoyed the show this week. And if you want to follow us and the work that we do, go ahead and follow us on our social media platforms. Just search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And also subscribe to our website, weeklybrewcast.com. But... It's been a lot of fun this week. I hope you're enjoying the World Baseball Classic. I hope you're enjoying the, the Rockets and the big win they had Sunday night over LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers, the defending NBA champions. And I hope that your March Madness brackets are helped a little bit by the analysis. It was just high level that we went through tonight. Of course, make sure to go to our Facebook page for information on how you can register and sign up for the Weekly Brew Bracket Challenge. Of course, the winner of that will get a $50 Amazon gift card. So we hope that you sign up for that. Tell your friends, tell your family, and also tell them to subscribe to the Weekly Brew on iTunes, on SoundCloud, whatever podcast platform they utilize. But it's been a lot of fun this week. And of course, thanks to Lee Jenkins and Paul Catalina for joining us on this week's show. And until next time, my name is Austin Staten. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew.